Welcome to another edition of The Wake Up Call. I'm your host, Reno Muntz. If you are watching on Instagram, feel free to click the link on my bio, and that will bring you over to the show where I can post your comments and questions. I will also keep the background camera on on Instagram, so if it works better for you to watch on that platform, that is an option. Today we're talking about how I practiced Kundalini Yoga for five years. Um, I've also practiced meditation and yoga for 20 years, and um, also spent most of my life in and out of addiction and recovery, um, trying to get sober. Uh, well, I mean, at first I wasn't trying to get sober. I was trying to forget my pain and problems. Um, but then it's been working on getting sober. So uh, that's kind of what we're going to do today. Um, we're going to talk about how uh, what I learned and what was positive. And I I've done a five-part series on my recovery journey I've also done uh, a three-part series, I think it's three parts, um, on why I stopped teaching Kundalini Yoga, and today I want to share with everybody what I learned. And the final category in today's talk is going to be where to go from here. So I think that'll uh, kind of sum it all up. Seven topics, what I learned uh, from my experiences with Kundalini Yoga, the intention is to heal and to elevate and to inspire and to be really open, honest, and vulnerable. So that's where we're going today. First, I want to thank our sponsors. Thank you, Minds Dye. Minds Dye makes hand-dyed fabrics, really beautiful company. Uh, you can check them out on Instagram at the Minds Dye or go to the Etsy store and look up the Minds Dye. Also, Seed Apparel. Seed Apparel makes hemp clothing grown in Canada, designed in Canada, an environmentally and sustainable company. Uh, please do check them out, theseedstore.ca or imseed on Instagram. Also want to thank Nahung.net. Nahung.net raises awareness around the Nahung tradition, um, which is the indigenous practice of the Sikh faith. I mean, it's more nuanced than that, but we're grateful to have them on board as a sponsor, especially as we move through this healing process with relationship to Kundalini Yoga. And uh, last, I want to thank Shakti Jewelry for your support. Shakti Jewelry, you can check them out on Instagram at Shakti Jewelry or head to their website at iloveshakti.com and get yourself a beautiful piece of adornment uh, to inspire you in your daily life. So that's the intro and, uh, and now we're going to get into talking about um, Kundalini Yoga. I practiced for five years. This is what I learned and uh, hopefully will inspire you in your process, whatever that might be. And once again, if you're watching on Instagram, uh, feel free to click the link in my bio and be a part of the conversation. If you love the show and it, it brings value to your life, please do uh, click on YouTube. You'll see there's a contribute button and uh, you're, you're welcome to donate to the show so that I'm able to keep doing this. Um, we have some great guests next week. Uh, Noah Levine of Dharma Punk, so he was a big inspiration for me early in my journey, is going to be on one week from today. And uh, then Adam Blake, who is the bass player in a, in a band that I love called H2O. He was in a Krishna core band called Shelter. Um, he's had experiences with Straight Edge. He is a tr personal trainer, and he's also sober, and I think he's going to have a really cool uh, perspective on life. He's very positive. And I think y'all are going to love him. So that's next weekend. And I think this week we'll kind of focus on on the community connected to the Wake Up Call and uh, connected to me and my work and and uh, how we can move forward um, now that we've had some a lot of time to process what's been happening. 
And if you're still in the thick of it, don't worry about it. Like, you know, it, it's, it works on your timeline. And uh, it could take months, years. I'm not really sure for you how what it's going to look like. But my intention with being open about my process is to inspire you on your journey to find some peace if you were connected uh, to Kundalini Yoga or if you're if you are continuing to be connected with Kundalini Yoga, whatever your uh, um, path holds for you. So welcome, everybody. So as I mentioned in the intro to the show, I'm going to cover this in seven different um, topics or, or headings. And then, uh, you know, we'll, if we get through it all today, then that's wonderful. If we don't get through it all today, we'll do a part two on Saturday. I think I'll do a part two regardless. Um, and as always, feel free to leave any comments, questions, or that kind of thing, especially on the YouTube platform. Um, because I can share those with the group. So the first topic that we're going to uh, look at today with relationship to the time I spent practicing Kundalini Yoga and what I learned, we're going to start with yoga, just yoga in general. I think it's a really important place to start for many reasons. Um, it will help you navigate whatever challenge you're facing in connection to this Kundalini Yoga thing. Even if you're not associated with it and, you're, and you have questions or you have questions about yoga in general, um, I think it's a great place to start uh, because it is such a broad thing. Um, there is, uh, and, and I kind of want to look at it through the lens of like yoga, how it's helped and also how it hasn't, <laughs> how it's been uh, har harmful in my life. And um, I think that's a great place to start. So uh, it, those of you, without going too much into the backstory, those of you who uh, have been following the show, you know that uh, I have been interest in interested in spirituality my whole life. I was born into a family where my father was a pastor in a Christian church, and um, then I got interested in Buddhism. Um, music and basketball became my religion uh, after that, and... Um, you know, there were some challenges when I was getting into Eastern philosophy, some pushback from my family that has since been resolved. I mean, that was a long time ago, um, you know, over 25 years ago. And uh, yeah, so I was interested in the Buddha and, and mysticism, but also Western mysticism. And um, yeah, I, and I also got interested in drugs as a result, psychedelics. Um, and drinking a lot and partying and playing in bands and and playing basketball and just you know being a wild teenager um, and that went on for some time when I finished school I really uh, got into a lot of trouble when I finished high school and found myself in a drug and alcohol treatment center for a year and well it actually took me 15 months to finish uh, oh thank you for sharing base honey sounds like my story lol and um, so I went to treatment and I got out. Um, I definitely sort of softened how I was behaving, um, but I did not, uh, I was not effective in my recovery. And I, con I continued with a lot of harmful behavior. Um, and then I, I got into a relationship and uh, with, a, with a woman and um, I decided that I wanted to pursue my interest in Eastern philosophy. And so I went to university to study religion and I uh, thought I would go the academic route. I happened to have a professor who allowed me to really focus on yoga philosophy and uh, Buddhist philosophy. 
I was interested in meditation, but I had not practiced any physical yoga at this point in time. Um, and then I, um, yeah, I, my first experience with the physical yoga, I was DJing quite a bit. I was going to school, but I was also traveling as a DJ and rocking parties and getting trashed and making lots of money and causing a lot of trouble and uh, having a hard time in my relationship and with my health as a result, um, and also having a hard time keeping up with my studies, but I really loved it. And I, I always joke and say I've always had one foot in the ashram and one foot in the nightclub. And so, so this is sort of the beginning of that. Um, and uh, yeah, my first experience with a physical yoga practice is I go to a, a jiva. Before that, I had had a lot of experience with classical yoga, meaning like meditation, but never like you know, down dog or <laughs> that kind of thing. And so my first experience with the physical side of it was when I was in a really challenging spot with my addiction. And I went, my friend took me, Kirby Criddle, we're still friends, shout out Kirby Criddle and Mike Gaff, uh, friends from, I was going to U of S at the time. Um, anyhow, I, I, my first experience, she took me to a Jiva Mukti yoga class and they were playing really great music and there was a very uh, inspiring spiritual message and uh, I I loved it you know I felt like at the end I remember thinking to myself this is better than any drug I've ever done and so I poured myself into that I took teacher trainings you know we're going the fast way yeah shout out to Tina James she's still a dear friend and an amazing teacher in Whistler uh, thanks Crystal Rainbow and um yeah, so and anyhow, I, I, fl I went back and forth in and out of um, problems with addiction, especially with alcohol, um, and which put a lot of strain on my relationships. I got married, that marriage dissolved, fell apart, we got divorced, and uh, I, this is going fast. Remember, this is not all happening in a year or something. This is over. I'm bringing you up to when I start teaching kundalini yoga, so I start you know, I go to retreatment when I'm like 20 years old and now we're whipping through here. Okay. Does that make sense? If you want to hear the longer story, the book will be out soon. Um, so anyhow, uh, you know, I, I have this experience. I go through these teacher trainings. Um, I break up with my partner. I move back to Calgary. I start DJing a ton more. I'm pretty broken up about the end of our relationship but I'm not really willing to look at it. I don't have the tools or the emotional maturity. And so what do I do? I go back to what is reliable, and that is I work in a record store, I DJ, I make money, I get drunk, I take drugs, I hang out with young women and forget to practice. This goes on for a little while. I realize that I'm not living the life that I wanna live. And uh, so I make a decision to move out to Vancouver and uh, get back to my practice and get back to teaching. And so I come out to Vancouver and I'm sharing um, vinyasa yoga and uh, I'm able to, and practicing some ashtanga connected with Tina James, Jiva Mukti yoga, and uh, building a, I am able to build a following relatively quickly here of people who are interested in doing that type of yoga. I use my musical background in DJing to inspire people and eventually it turns into this thing where there's like a hundred people in the room the music is pumping, it's a party, um, and I'm relatively healthy. I'm still drinking occasionally, 
um, but I have toned it down and feeling pretty good about my life. Um, and then I meet my current partner. We, we continue to share some uh, practices together. We introduce friends from Saskatoon to friends in uh, uh, Vancouver, and one yoga is born out of that. And so it's part of the history out here in Vancouver. If you don't live here, it doesn't mean anything to you, and that's fine. Um, and uh, yeah, things are going pretty good. We have a daughter by, by surprise, and it's a great blessing. Also, I'm not managing the pregnancy, uh, not pregnancy, the birth of my daughter being a parent, I find, I find really hard on me looking back, and uh, I'm missing DJing and that kind of lifestyle, and so I go back, and in comes the drinking and the drugs again, and uh, finding it once again with one foot in both worlds, and finding it really hard to manage, um, and uh, you know that goes on for some time, and then my partner, who has begun teaching kundalini yoga, uh, not teaching, practicing kundalini yoga. Um, when she's pregnant, she she really you know wants me to get involved in it. She's found great healing in it. Um, so I decide that I will go to Yoga West with her and have some experiences with the practice. I create, I form a relationship with Guru Singh out of LA. He becomes a mentor to me. For several years, I pour myself into the practice. We end up opening a center called Dharma Temple, and uh, the practice supports me to be sober. Um, I have one relapse in the in the process, and we create a training program called Aquarian Luminosity Training, and then fast forward to everything blowing up with Yogi Bhajan. We're really cruising here, right? Um, and the pandemic, we closed the centers. We are currently engaged in one of our AQL trainings, which is a training that I take great pride in, my partner and I created. Uh, we call it a leadership and lifestyle training. We try and approach Kundalini Yoga from a non-dogmatic place. Um, yeah, so that's how I got to where I am. Uh, and that's a 20-year journey. Woo, I think I need a drink of water after that. So I wanna talk about yoga and how it helped. And uh, so that first part of when I started doing the physical practices, how it helped is um, with the vinyasa yoga, it connected to me to a part of myself that I had left behind when I had stopped playing basketball because of club life. And it gave me that same endorphins, the same physical strength. It made me feel really healthy and alive. And I loved that there was a musical component to it. Okay. Um, and there was a lot of philosophy connected to it, which I was learning about in school. Um, it, it seemed a lot like a religion. A lot of yogis had ways to justify why it's not a religion. Um, it's really hard to navigate that one. I guess it's a philosophy. In many ways, it's a religion. And you can see, because of the, the philosophy part of it, how in some circles it can become very dogmatic. And it can also become problematic in that it's there's austerities associated with it there is you know um conversations about uh oh thanks for the thanks for the alana Steele says bravo amazing life review that was a fast one um yeah like there's like a lot of rules and if you want to be successful at it you follow the rules um and in some ways, I think I needed some of that because I was just so like a, a wild party, you know, and and hard to pin down, and that was causing a lot of pr 
problems in my life, the lack of structure. Um, and so when I come to, and, and I love learning about the philosophy and learning about the different yogis, and I mean, I re read all kinds of books, and I know quite a bit about where it came from and, and that sort of thing, just in a, in a nutshell. And I, let, and I share that in my classes as I teach, which I've been told that something people really love about me is that I can take ancient wisdom and express it in contemporary modern language, um, and that really resonates with people. And I'm passionate about that. And I'm also passionate about teachers who've done that for me, like Ram Das or Alan Watts or Krishnamurti. And um, yeah, so and so when Kundalini Yoga comes along for me, it 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 gives me even more structure because I have to be clear here that, like I said, I soften in the early days, Jiva Mukti Yoga, even Dharma Yoga, I soften the criminal behavior and the excessive drug use. Um, but the drinking continues and the club life uh, continues. And it's really hard for me to balance. Um, and when I start doing Kundalini Yoga, I have the longest stretch of alcohol-free living ever on my own that's not inside of a treatment center, which is really powerful. And then I put a lot of emphasis on the practice itself being what's doing it for me, okay? So that's how it's helped. That's how the yoga has helped me. And it's given me, you know, physical strength. It's given me structure. It's given me a purpose. It's given me something to study that I really love. The challenge is, is that it uh, has given me these like dogmas and rules to follow. And, uh, and in so doing so has made me feel a lot of the time like I don't measure up. I need to be a better student. I need to have a better sadhana. I need to do a better job. Um, I need to have more, you know, how many people came to the class? Just feeling less than, which is really not the point uh, of yoga. But there is an element of that. So that's kind of the yoga. And, and you know, I love right now, I'm currently working on a project where I look at the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali and write about them in a way that is non-dogmatic and really could apply to people in recovery. And um, it's really amazing when I've started doing that project to remember, and I've known this all along, but it's easy to get caught up in our heads and in the rules and in the dogmas. But the purpose of all of this practice really is about uncovering who you are. It's not about the techniques. It's about working through your stuff so who you really are can be authentically expressed. And the process of working through your stuff may need some tools. And those might be techniques. They might be or they might not be. I mean, it really depends. Okay. So that's how yoga has helped and how it hasn't. And then I guess the second topic is recovery, which is, which is what we're uh, covering now. And, and really what, how Kundalini Yoga helped me in my recovery is there was so much structure. Dress like this, do this meditation for this many minutes, for this benefit. It was very prescriptive. Um, something I noticed when I was in treatment all those years ago that was really helpful for me is like getting up first thing in the morning and doing your chores. Those of you who live on a farm, you know about that kind of structure. And the more effectively you follow the structure, the more effective the farm runs. Um, or if you're an athlete and you're training, you know, if you're kind of loose about your training, then you'll get loose results. And so it gave me a structure that I really needed in my recovery, and I didn't have to go. Some of you may know this, but 
when I started doing kundalini yoga five years ago, I basically was at a point in my relationship where it was like, you either quit drinking or you have to move out. You can't live with the family. And so I made a commitment saying I was going to do the Aquarian sadhana, which is a traditional, for lack of a better word, the prescribed, let's call it prescribed. Um, oh, thanks, Eamon. Eamon has a great question, and I'm going to get to asana. It's The exercises are one of the categories. Um, they ask, does asana have a role in self-discovery or is meditation all that's needed? Enjoying the talk. So I will get there. Um, the exercises, breath and exercise, is uh, topic number six. So we'll get there. Thank you for the question. And feel free to ask questions. Um, if you're on Instagram, uh, you can always click over to my YouTube channel and I can post the questions. If not, you can also ask them on Instagram and I'll respond. Um, so the structure is huge, right? And I had done other yogas that had a lot of structure. I mean, in Jiva Mukti Yoga, it's very strict about veganism. In Ashtanga Yoga, it's very strict about morning practice and following the series. In Dharma Yoga, the one thing that I lo really loved about Dharma Yoga is that there was this looseness and, uh, you know, find your own path, which I liked. But there was also this, you know, you must practice this diet or else, um, which I really... I liked the structure of that, and I was striving to be compassionate, which is the heart of yoga. So I understand where that comes from. And I do appreciate Sri Dharma Mitra, who is a teacher of mine, how he doesn't uh, prescribe as much, and it's more open to interpretation. So thank you for that, Dharma. I didn't realize how much I appreciated it at the time, but there is still the culture of like giving up your identity, to take on a spiritual name and all of these things. And, and I want to say that that is beneficial for some people. Um, I wanted that, you know, I always, didn't, I always had issues with my identity. I didn't feel like I fit in. Uh, I didn't feel like my name suited me. Uh, when I heard about Ram Das and Bhagavan Das, my early teachers 20 years ago, I thought, oh, someday I'm going to have a name like that. So I, I see the benefit in it. Um, but I, I am, I'm just wanting to say that how Kundalini Yoga has helped me in my uh, recovery is the structure. And I would say, you know, that also that structure can be harmful too, because it just depends where you're at. If you're somebody with a lot of problems and a lack of discipline, and when I say discipline, uh, all I mean is the ability to stay on course and, and connected with how you want to be in the world. That's all I mean. And, and I had a real big problem with that. I mean, I think most addicts do. And so to have some structure put in place for me, something that I could follow was really helpful. Now we'll get into the challenges that come along with that, but that's the number one thing. And when everything came up with Yogi Bhajan and, and what I've been processing over the last, whatever you want to say, 18 months, year, somewhere in there, um, one thing that I've been noticing is that the structure piece, I lost my train of thought. I apologize, everyone. Um, but the, it's definitely the structure. The structure is really what helped me. And, and I didn't have to go to a treatment center, but I also, I, I also found myself very confused a lot of the time. And, you know, the part of me that the addict in me, I, I saw a quote recently, I shared it on Instagram where Ozzy Osbourne said, I can't do anything in moderation. 
And I agree with that. And that's a blessing and a curse, right? The curse is that alcoholism, <laughs> you know. Um, but the blessing is, is that I was able to pour myself into these things. Oh, yes. So I didn't have to go to a treatment center. I made a commitment. I said, I'm going to do this thing. I followed the thing. I dotted the I's. I crossed the T's. And as a result, I was able to put the bottle down for the first time ever for a long stretch. And, you know, this is five years in. And I had a relapse um, about two and a half years ago where I decided, oh, I can just drink like a little bit here and there, I can just do a better job. And that wasn't true. And actually, I'm glad that I learned that lesson. You know? So five years, you know, and it's really showed me. I think I've been in recovery for 20 years since the first time that I went, but I've been learning how to do that. And I don't necessarily, I mean, even the Kundalini Yoga, like how many days did you do the sadhana? And if you miss a day, you start over. I don't know about that approach from recovery. I used to think that that's what it was about. And I do think that having long stretches is what it's all about and trying your best. But I also know that from my relapses and my stumbles, man, I learned the tools necessary to not have that happen as frequently. And at this point, not at all. And so those stumbles have been helpful. So maybe it's not about doing it perfect, doing the Kriya perfect, doing the asana perfect, doing the sequence perfect, following the prescribed you know, dogma perfect, being in recovery perfect. I think all of that is bullshit. That doesn't mean that you don't you know, do your best to be you and, and hopefully the tools help you along the way. Um, but I just wanted to share that. So the third uh, topic that about kundalini yoga and what I've learned in five years is about history. And when I say history, um, I, I hadn't really learned a lot in my studies about Guru Nanak, the first guru of the six. And when I started to read about Guru Nanak and when I started to have some of the experiences with Gurbani Kirtan, which is essentially, if you love the mantras that you hear in Kundalini Yoga, they come from Gurbani, which means the scripture of the Guru or the words of the Guru. And the Guru meaning uh, from the Sikh tradition. And the Guru Granth Sahib, which is the uh, teachings or the, the scriptures of the Sikhs, and it's a beautiful tradition that has a uh, social justice component and a devotional component. And when I was learning, like Guru Nanak, I have him tattooed on my arm, um, really spoke to me in a deep way. And doing the Japji Sahib, which is the morning prayer of the Sikhs, which are the words of Guru Nanak, really spoke to me in a deep way. And, and one of the challenge, well, a couple challenges. One of the challenges was that um, here was this guy who really stood up against dogma and classism and hierarchy and was quite rebellious in the name of love. And I just like, I love Guru Nanak. I still love Guru Nanak. Like, and, and, but then like, I was also involved in this thing that was giving me the structure to be free from my recovery but at the same time, the structure seemed kind of like what Guru Nanak was fighting against. So it was like, be like Guru Nanak, follow the rules, and then you'll be free. And I was like, something's messed up here. Like we're, it's not translating. 
You know what I mean? And and then like because I I really felt this deep connection to Guru Nanak, and that one of the main things that Guru Nanak uh, inspired me to do was to write my own spiritual poetry. And that came from spending time with Japji, and it came from learning about Gurmukhi. But when I started to dig around about Kundalini Yoga and and the mantras and 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 asking Sikh friends, and then being like, "Wait a sec, why are the Sikhs unfamiliar with what I'm asking about, and why are these there are these discrepancies?" and it, it, like I don't get it, and why am I? And even on pilgrimage to the Golden Temple, and I'm with my Punjabi friend, and I'm like, "Oh, I'm going to do this Kundalini Yoga at the Golden Temple." He's like, "Yeah, I wouldn't really do that because, like, the, some of the Sikhs may find it offensive because it's not really Sikhy." And I was like, "What, Buh? Um. And so I just want to bring all of that up to say that like I've learned so much about the Sikhs and I'm I think it's such an incredible tradition and I still hold Guru Nanak as one of my primary teachers and influences in my life. Um, but I just I was having problems with like I don't see how these things all fit together. And I know like some folks say like oh well it doesn't matter it's about the experience. I think you're right. And if you're doing some kind of practice, you're chanting something, um, you're learning about something and it really makes sense to you. I mean, that's the path of the mystic. And so keep exploring it. Um, I think for me, because I needed the structure so bad as a person in recovery, when the structure didn't make sense, like people have this experience in 12 steps. You know, it's like, oh, I, I really love being sober but I don't really understand like the 12 steps or the language doesn't resonate or I don't want to become a Christian or, you know, it's very similar, those discrepancies and the experience of those discrepancies. And so I poured myself because I can't do anything in moderation fully into it. And I loved going to Punjab. I hope I can go back. I loved learning about the Sikhs. I loved learning about Guru Nanak and Guru Gobind Singh Ji and all of that. Uh, Sikh tradition um, but I just didn't see how things were connected and anytime that I would start asking questions more from a an academic standpoint because I love to learn that's important to me I felt like there were so many justifications like it's like oh well we don't do this because it's a secret and and I was just like I don't know I'm trying to do the thing but I don't know what the thing is that's how I felt so I was loving the structure, and I, I wanted to commit to the structure. Like, okay, I want to become a Khalsa Sikh, and so I'm going to learn, I'm going to grow my beard, and I'm going to put on my turban, and I'm going to try and carry the name, and I'm going to try and do a good job. And then every corner I turned, it was kind of like, oh, well, the reason you're not doing it right is because you don't know what you're doing. And the people who are teaching you don't either, like something like that. So I had to do my own homework. And I just think it's important to share that because that even happens around yoga. I mean, if you look at Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, like there's no mention of doing yoga postures. It's a process of uncovering who you are and dealing with the mind and thinking, much like Buddhist practice. And then it becomes religiized. <laughs> I don't know if that's a word, but you know what I mean? It becomes a dogma. And ultimately, all of this work that we're doing is not about becoming something. It's about 
using the tool of whatever the practice might be to uncover, to let go of the things that are are not you. And so I struggled with that. And and you know, maybe maybe I didn't dig deep enough, or maybe I learned what I needed to learn. I'm not sure, but there's a lot of discrepancies in the history and and I just it was occupying so much of my mental space and I don't want to spend my life worrying about if I'm being a good enough yogi or being a good enough Sikh. I would rather focus on, am I living my life to the fullest? Am I showing up in love? Am I showing up in creativity? Am I showing up in service? And that's just for me personally. Your experience might have been different. But the history disconnects I found problematic, and I wasn't okay with, um, well, it's a secret, and and we don't really know, but just trust. And, and especially with everything that came up around Yogi Bhajan, it made it really hard to put my faith in that. So that's the history piece. And it made it easier for me to go, okay, well, if that's the case, I might as well cut my hair and go back to my name and, and maybe learn something about my own ancestry. And give thanks every moment for Guru Nanak. He's still sitting here with me. And I don't think it makes me any less of a Sikh because I didn't take any vows and wasn't able to because the foundation of where I learned was so confusing. So I'll just want to be like Guru Nanak and be free and uh, give the finger to dogma and hierarchy and just live in love. You know, That's what drew me into this in the first place. The next topic is about, uh, number four, is uh, cults and dogma. Now, I don't want to get too deep into this, but, um, you know, when you start reading some of the things that uh, Yogi Bhajan said around, like, rape and how a woman invites that on, I guess I should say trigger warning here, um, that is awful. I have no idea, like... And, and maybe I should have noticed that before. I don't know. I wasn't in his presence, but there there was a lot of manipulation happening behind the scenes the more you dig into this thing and at the center of it. And uh, I had Sarah Edmondson on the podcast uh, or on the show recently. I don't know if you all had the chance to watch that episode, uh, but please go back and watch it if you haven't. And we were talking about cults and how uh, often what happens is is that it's like an onion, and at the center of the onion, it might be rotten, you know, and it's being used to manipulate and harm people. It's usually about money, sex, and power, which I would say, if you look at Yogi Bhajan, you can see that that is definitely at the center of this thing. Maybe it didn't start like that, but became like that. Again, I have a limited perspective because I'm on the outer <laughs> layer of the onion. But what happens is the core is rotten, and then the further away you get from the center, the, the less impact um, there is, but eventually that rotten center is going to make its way out to the outer rings. Okay. Yes, we're all unique. There is, I'm just reading a comment here from Ilana. We're all unique. There's no one size fits all approach to life. Life is a process. Each step in life, I can put this on the screen. Uh, we are, let's start again. We are all unique. There is no one size fits all approach to life. Life is a process. Each step in life is a return to uncovering your own true self. If something feels wrong, it probably is totally. And we might have to go through that process. You know, I, I'm not saying like 
you know, we're choosing that. I just mean, maybe by going through the painful experience, we'll learn more about who we are so that we don't choose that in the future. Something like that. Um, it's, the sun's coming out, so I'm getting, it's getting a little brighter in here. There, that looks a little better. Um, yeah, and like the hierarchy piece and the bowing to the teacher, and, you know, I, I just felt like, even with the Sikh teachings, I just felt like, I, looking back, I realized, like, there's a lot of, like, praying to Yogi Bhajan, worshiping Yogi Bhajan, and I can say all day long that I didn't participate in that. And I don't know that that's necessarily true. I just think it's a part of the culture. I wasn't doing it consciously. I wasn't consciously choosing to do that. But in participating in it, there was that going on, uh, you know, because I wanted to be a good student and a good teacher. And so I was looking to the person that everybody said was a good teacher. And, you know, and then as I found out about the problems, and, and by the way, I'm not looking for somebody to be perfect in a teacher. It's the same thing that's happening right now in our, with the pandemic and our, our governments. It's like I'm watching politicians and health officials say things like a year ago, no, you know, uh, presently, excuse me, saying I have always been in favor of masks and everyone should wear masks and blah, blah, blah. And then if you go back and watch their talk from a year ago, they're saying that, that masks don't actually work. And believe me, y'all know me who are following me, I, I change a lot. I change my tune, I change. Um, but what I'm trying to do to be in integrity, especially in my recovery process, is just admitting that I was wrong or admitting that I didn't know at the time, rather than just say like, oh no, no, this is a fact and just blatantly disregarding what I said in the past. Um, and I think that's some of the challenge with Kundalini Yoga is that if there's an inability to talk about the problems, then it's next to impossible to find any kind of medicine in the practice. And some people disagree with me on that. Some people think, nope, I wasn't, I'm not connected to that. There's no conversation needed to be had. I'm just going to keep going. And I guess it's about your personal relationship to it. And, and I, I just, I tried to do that. I just wasn't able to. So I've just been analyzing it and, um, and knowing that there is cult-like behavior at the center of this thing, whether you feel like you participated in that or not is, is about you and your personal recovery process, because I think it is a recovery process. And, um, you know, the dogma is also quite challenging. And also you may say, I didn't participate in that either. I didn't wear white, I didn't grow my hair, I didn't send away money to get my name, I didn't, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, I did do those things, and I wanted to do those things because I thought that it would make me a better teacher, it would help earn an income for my family, and it would allow me to keep doing this thing that helped me to get sober, and I was watching it help other people get sober as well. And, you know, when I say what I've learned over the past five years, what I've learned is, is that that's not necessary to do. And some of you may say, I knew that all along. Well, that's wonderful for you. Uh, I did not know that all along. And uh, I was wrong. But I also received some benefit from doing those things, like the structure that supported me to... Um, 
be effective in my recovery, which I'm thankful for. But I'll tell you right now, in the last little while, um, thank you, Woven Yogi, uh, utmost respect for your honesty and integrity. And Jennifer, I'll get to your comment in a second. Um, I feel I don't have a lot of thoughts happening in my head right now going like, should I do this? Should I do that? Am I doing enough? Should I do my practice? Should I? And I've had a lot of mental uh, disturbance from from the dogma connected to Kundalini Yoga and the culture connected to Kundalini Yoga. But I also experienced some great things from like the devotional side, the breath work, the exercises. Um, it inspired me in, in many ways as well. So just want to be upfront about that. Um, let's bring Jennifer's comment up onto the screen. Yes, and that's something I admire so much in you and I think is so important right now. It's okay to not know and to admit you're still learning as you go. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. We're all learning as we go. Um, so, you know, I, I, how do we go forward? I think, you know, we have honest conversations. Like there's problems in the history and what's being offered in this practice. Um, there's problems with cult behavior and, and the dogmas connected to this practice. Um, but it's also helped people in recovery. And for me personally, as a person in recovery, the structure has helped. And I think there's a way to apply structure that's dogma-free. And that's what I'm attempting to do with my true seekers work, you know, um, and just getting clear on like what yoga is and what aspects of yoga are actually helping you and what are like holding you back or making you excessively neurotic or um, activating addictive behaviors, that kind of thing. Or, you know, making you strong and flexible or peaceful or, you know, just taking an honest look at how you're applying yourself. Okay. Um, so we've done yoga, recovery, history, cults, and dogma. And now I uh, would like to talk about resilience. The benefits of uh, structure or staying. The benefits of staying. And the challenge or the harm of mind control now i don't know that everybody who's watching this right now has participated in kundalini yoga as taught by yogi bhajan but one thing that's very unique about it and this shows up in other asana practices but this this particular practice is very powerful for this and that is uh you stay in some kind of challenging position you know it shows up in like shaolin kung fu and that kind of thing but you stay in a position, like say you're holding your arms like this and you're doing some kind of powerful breathing, like or something, you know, just for an example. And you're pumping your navel and you're staying and your body is saying, put your arms down and you're pushing through that, which is um, actualizing or awakening your resilience and strengthening your nervous system and all of these uh, great uh, claims to wellness that come from Kundalini Yoga. And I found them to be beneficial. Now, here's where the catch is. Basically, what's happening when you're doing this and you're doing the breath, um, you are opening yourself up to any kind of external influence. Now, if the person who is guiding you through this has the best of intentions, 
um, to elevate you and to uh, have you be exactly who you are, then it can be a wonderful experience. But if the person who has you open like this, opening the psychic channels and, and developing a resilience, which is a capacity to stay, you see what I mean? That can be manipulative and used as mind control. It's true. Like, stay, do the, um, you know, I don't know. Like the only way through is through Yogi Bhajan or, or um, you know, do better at sadhana and then you won't have as many problems in your life. And if you don't have as many problems in your life, then you'll be free. But this is the only way to do it. You see where that becomes manipulative? And the benefit, like what I found, is when I'm teaching um, Kundalini Yoga especially, uh, it's really effective for recovery because I'm able to share the liberating experiences that I've had to somebody who's very receptive. Like sometimes people just walk into a room and you start talking about recovery, they shut down because of whatever it might be, their traumas, their experiences, um, their stories, whatever it is. But if you can get somebody into the breathing and you can get them into uh, something that's challenging them to stay, to stimulate their resilience, and uh, it, it can make the process of inspiring recovery, inspiring personal growth, inspiring um, self-awareness and sovereignty is incredibly powerful. It really is. That's why this particular practice works. It's kind of like, you know, the, the exercise combined with the person on the mic creates a powerful experience. Well, if you're practicing on your, your own, you are the person on the mic, and then the technique is creating this powerful experience. But the challenge is, is who's on the mic? And I noticed that I was able to make a lot of great strides in recovery when I was opening myself up and doing these things. And, and I could see myself as sober and I could see myself being a, a good leader and a good father, which is amazing. But I also found myself um, kind of berating myself for, for not like living up to the name Tiaga Prem Singh, to not being a good enough Sikh, to if I, you know, to blaming my partner for standing in my way of my spiritual growth, of stepping deeper into the Sikh Dharma. You know, like this, that's the mind stuff that, that's dangerous. You know what I mean? So I would say like, there is benefit to this, but you have to be very uh, conscious of who you're opening yourself up to. And what is the intent? And that's where we go back to yoga because the intent of yoga is not to become something, to become a teacher, to become a Sikh, to become a yogi, to become a... That's not the point. The point is to be more of who you are. And if the techniques are inspiring that, like they're giving you mental space, you know, they're calming the storm of I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, or whatever it is, then that can be really beneficial. But you have to be very careful about who is on the other end helping, like who's your co-pilot? 
Because if the intention of your co-pilot is to just take your money and doesn't really care about your recovery or wants to have power over you, or, I mean, it goes back to the cult stuff. If it's about money, sex, and power, and you're opening up yourself up to somebody who's about money, sex, and power, it's going to lead to problems. And that's the at the root of you know why the organizations connected to this thing are so problematic. But also the positive side, why, why people are having positive experiences with this, because you know just thinking positive thoughts is not as potent as get into the breath, get into the body, do something challenging, and then have somebody on the mic, whether it's somebody you trust or your own inner dialogue, which is the best case scenario. When you're early in recovery or early in spirituality, you might not know how to do that. You might not even be interested in doing that. That's when a teacher is really helpful. But teachers are not to be more or less than a friend. It's the, oh, the great so-and-so, and I'm the lowly, and then you've got this power dynamic where you're opening yourself up, and they're put dumping in whatever they want to dump in. You may miss some red flags. Or you're opening yourself up, and they genuinely care about you. Then you can really experience a lot of healing, which I've had as well. Does that help? I hope that helps. Um, and that brings us to the breath and exercises piece. You know, I've done my best uh, d- during... Oh, I'm just going to read a comment here. This is from Woven Yogi on Instagram. The dogma and ideals of Kundalini Yoga are very high and lofty. I found the need to stay grounded and deeply honor myself as a human. Thank you. I, that resonates. Um. Yeah, like a lot of my personal goals connected to when I was doing this, you know, the majority, I mean, the big one was sobriety. But because I thought that it was the, the, the culture connected to this thing that was giving me my sobriety, a lot of my goals were centered around how do I become more refined at this and become more masterful and, and be like my teacher, uh, Guru Singh, as opposed to how do I be more like myself? What do I want in this life? How do I want to show up in this life? And that's where I started to lose myself. You see what I mean? And so, and, and that's been the challenge with me because it's like, there's a lot of positive in this. And I know that's been the challenge for a lot of people too, whether you're in Aquarian, uh, Aquarian luminosity with me or whether you've done Dharma Temple or you're, you know, people are feeling like, well, you didn't really do the 3HO thing. You kind of did your own thing. And it's like, this thing is so nuanced that it's not its not really like an all or nothing. It's a let's look at all the problems and then let's look at in relationship to the problems, like what were the things that were good and let's see if we can separate them. And I'm not talking about Yogi Bhajan. I think that we can just leave, let him be and move on. Um, but I also feel the same way about a, a lot of the dogma connected to this thing as well. And if you feel called to be a Sikh, then I would recommend becoming a Sikh, but I would recommend gathering your information from elsewhere. From the Guru Granth Sahib, 
from the Nahangs, from the Sikh communities. And if you don't feel called to be a Sikh and you've, and you've had a positive experience with these yoga techniques, uh, I think it's time to dig in and see like what was causing you pain and discomfort and what was actually elevating your life and really dig into it and get honest about it. And do it in a community with people who are willing to be honest because it's hard to do it on your own. And for me, that's recovery work. I mean, that's why I keep coming back to that. And I just think it's funny when people are like, oh, well, I don't really need recovery. I don't have a drinking problem. It's like recovery, if if you're like, I feel 100% connected to who I am. I know what I want to create in my life. And I'm out here just like living it to the fullest. Then you don't need recovery. But for, for some of us, we're just learning how to do that. And uh, even, you know, sifting through all of this stuff with yoga is a part of it. And that and that's what the yoga practice is. Like if you go to Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, it's not about the techniques. It's not. It's about working with your own mind so that your mind operates in support of you rather than in support of a dogma, a faith, uh, expectation, an obligation, a da-da-da-da-da in support of you and how you want to be in the world. And there are techniques that can help you with that. But it can get a little slippery when it comes to the dogma thing. And and, and they've been t- people have been talking about this for thousands of years, right? I said uh, the Zen proverb today about how Zen is the finger pointing at the moon. It's not the moon. The techniques, I mean, The techniques are the finger pointing at the moon. It's not the moon. And the purpose is to recognize that you're the moon. Once you recognize you're the moon, do you think the moon needs a hand to point to itself? But we get hung up on the finger. And there's a lot of good in the techniques. And then there's a lot of nonsense. And that's where uh, somebody asked, uh, Amon McManus asked, does asana have a role in self-discovery or is meditation all that's needed? Um, you have a physical body and your physical body needs to be tended to. And that's important because if we're saying all of this work is about being there for yourself and being the best version of yourself that you can be and having your mind be in support of that, then you want your body in support of that too because the mind and the body are connected. They're the same thing. I mean, the body is the subconscious mind. It's not some bank out there or some like little thing that's storing it in inside your brain. It's inside your body. Your body will tell you the truth. You see what I'm saying? There's some a friend flying around here. So do we need to do asanas? No. Do you love doing asanas? Does it, you know, make you strong, flexible? Does it make your mind clear? Does it make you feel free? Or is it inspiring, you know, I'm not enough, I'm not good enough? you know or are you getting injured that was a big one for me too are you getting injured in the name of yoga um you see what i'm saying so so 
for me personally, some kind of physical discipline is necessary. And I love doing, you know, I do asanas every night these days. Just my regular keep the body in good shape. And then, you know, I play basketball and uh, jump rope. And I try and do some breathing, especially when I need it. Because I learned about it. And I think pranayamas are important. And I learned a lot of great things along the way. If you go, if y'all want to see a, a good book on pranayamas, it's this one here from the Yoga Land. Light on Pranayama by BKS Iyengar, The Yogic Art of Breathing. Very good. But don't worry about the dogmatic stuff. You know, just explore your body. You want to learn to breathe? Breathing is connected to wellness. Look what's happening in our world today. But not breathing for the sake of you have to do it because if you don't, then you, I mean... Look at your body's wise enough to know that you need to breathe. So, you know, pay attention to that. I'm going to go to, does that make sense, right? Because some people are like, oh, can I do the practice? Can I not do the practice? Can I just explore your body from a place of it's my body, my choice. I'm going to do what makes this body feel good. I'm going to learn. I'm going to learn about nutrition. I'm going to learn about what works for me when it comes to rest and sleep. I'm going to learn what feels good in my body. And I'm going to learn what doesn't feel good in my body. And I'm going to make the things that feel good a priority. And I'm going to learn from the things that don't. And I'm going to take care of my body. That's what the yogic techniques are for. It's not to become something. Is that making sense? Thanks for the question. So if you want to do yoga poses, postures, asanas, do them. You know, if you want to do, if you don't, don't bother. You know, there's other ways. Because what are we saying yoga is? It's being you. So what do you love? What's important to you? You know, and are, are the things you're doing inducing anxiety and feelings of, um, not enoughness and, you know, like why that's not helping, <laughs> you know, and, and, or is somebody instructing you to do these things that's stimulating those feelings? I mean, a lot of my friends who grew up around 3HO and Kundalini Yoga, like that's the thing that they're dealing with now. It's like, I don't want to do the practices anymore because it's too painful, but I feel like if I don't, then I'm like not a good person like that's how deeply ingrained this uh, some of the mind control pieces are and then there are other people who are like i just love it and i can't imagine my life without it well don't stop for somebody else you see what i mean and and for me as a person who shares some of these things i'm like my interest is is like how do i share these in, in a way that's like really accessible so that people who are dealing with um, patterns that are really harmful in their life can find some freedom from those patterns. That's it. And that's not an easy question because, like I said, it's so nuanced and so complex. And, and that's where I guess some of my scholarly brain comes into play because I can actually speak to some of these things rather than just say, like, well, I like it, and so if you don't like it, too bad. It's like... I don't, that doesn't work for me personally. It 
it's not helpful for me personally in the work that I'm doing with this show and with True Seekers Recovery. I hope that makes sense. Atma Sadhana Singh, going to bring in a comment up onto the screen. I guess I could make these a little bit smaller instead of covering my whole head with the comments. What about kundalini yoga exercises and pranayamas using Gurbani mantras? If in kundalini yoga we did and experienced benefits with exercise and pranayamas with mantras like Wai Guru, yeah, the mantras are are pow- powerful, but it's about the, it's not unique. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about uh, Guru Nanak is like, it's not only in the Sikh faith, okay? It's like a swear word too on the other side of it. It's like the swear word, I, I say to my daughter too, it's like, it's not don't swear. It's understanding that that word has a certain amount of power for some people. And it's having the skillful awareness to use the language in a way that's benevolent and necessary. Because really, it's just a word. And Vaiguru, if Vaiguru is being recited from a place of deep devotion and love and a desire to be your best self, your true self, then it has great power. But if you're if someone says just chant Y Guru and all your problems will go away, and the whole time you sp- say you do it for eleven minutes as prescribed, and the whole time you're thinking to yourself, this is bullshit, are you going to receive the benefit of the mantra? I'm not sure. I think the benefit comes from the intent of the heart of the person who's carrying the sound. That's why all prayers are beneficial prayers. Because if the prayer is being prayed from a loving heart, then the sound is powerful, then the mantra is powerful. That's why it doesn't really make any difference what language it's in. The only difference it makes is if it makes a difference to you. Because you're the one giving it power. You are the creator. You are the guru. You, your inner knower is the guide. Does that make sense? Um, he goes on to say, but Sikhs practice of Vaiguru Simran by chanting or meditating. What to do with the difference? You have talked about religious or cultural appropriation. If you are going to publicly do something that is from a tradition that is you know, not part of their tradition, but you're kind of like mixing and matching, um, and you find great power to that, the main thing I'm saying is just be prepared to have a conversation. And it might be a challenging conversation, you know, and ask questions. Why do you do that? Why do you not do that? Why don't you, you know, and just go out there and learn. But your inner knower, your inner guide knows the answer. We just kind of got to get through the head stuff. And sometimes the head stuff is the, the, the study. And you may realize in your study, oh, I don't need to do that. Or you may realize, wow, it's really beneficial for my life to do that. What, I'm just going here. What is it that is really helping you to connect and feel calm and peaceful? Is it the mantra? Is it the pranayama? Those are great questions. I mean, the, the they're related to your nervous system. Deep breathing is going to help. Loving action. I mean, this is the thing. If you go and look in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras and you really just like strip it down to the essentials in the first pada of the book, ultimately what he's saying is is that 
Yoga is about understanding who you are and dealing with the thoughts that tell you that you're not that or you're supposed to be something. And then he essentially says that two things could be really helpful, could be really helpful. Number one is breathing could be really helpful, right? And number two is doing something that you love could be really helpful. So if you love chanting, you love Gurbani, you love singing punk rock songs, you love gardening, you love playing basketball, you love, and, and you make that a priority in your life, you are going to have a deeper connection to the person or the being or the inner knower that is expressing through you, I love this. This is how I want to uh, uh, participate with life. Breathing can help because breathing is essential for your living and doing things you love, you know, eating foods you love, exercising in a way that you love so that you'll keep doing it. That's it. And a lot of us, the seekers, like my friend Atmasadna Singh and myself and many other people watching this, we, we get so wrapped up in trying to do a good job, be a good student for a good reason, you know, because we want to help people and we want to be of service. And, and somehow along the way, we forget that really what this is about, what inspired us to do this in the first place is that we love it. And then it, be, it becomes a job or it becomes something that, we, an addiction. I'll never be good enough. If I just had a better sadhana, if I just knew the answer to this, if I just knew what, you know. But if you love that, if you love studying Sikh history, amazing. Please keep doing that. If you love doing somatic movement or helping people work through trauma, keep doing that. If there are aspects of kundalini yoga that have helped you in that, great. If there are aspects that are stimulating the mind so that you're having a hard time experiencing who you are, which happens. This is a process that's always ongoing. Then notice, like, what is stirring up those thoughts? And then place less emphasis on the practices that are stirring up those thoughts, even though somebody outside of you may be saying, yeah, but that's how you have to do it. You have to do the sadhana at this time, and if you don't, then you're not. And you realize that that's what's stimulating all of that. Then just... You go, oh, I really like the practice, but I don't really like the rules around it, so I'm just going to do it in my own way, and la-di-da, I'm just going to trust my inner knower on that one. Because ultimately, the yoga is the experience of you. That's why you're doing the thing. And you, who you really are, is not a, a busy mind full of reasons why you don't measure up. That's not you. Um, I'm going to go over to Instagram and then I'll come back to the YouTube. We probably got another 10 minutes or so and we could do a part two on Saturday if everybody's into it. Uh, let me know in the comments. Kundalini with Cassia. Do you still teach physical movement-based yoga postures classes now or have you stopped teaching in that way? Um, I don't teach in that way right now but not because i wouldn't <laughs> does that make sense like if if the people that i was interacting with in true seekers recovery and the people who are in, in, currently in aquarian luminosity they want to learn the 
the techniques that I found to be beneficial, I would teach them because they're beneficial. Why, why would I withhold that just because of some sort of moral um, dilemma? There's a little fruit fly he loves hanging around here. Maybe he's Yogi Bhajan. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Um, but like I said, I'm practicing some yoga. It doesn't really look like Kundalini yoga as top of Yogi Bhajan, but I am practicing yoga and breath, and, and I see great benefit in that, and I will continue to teach it in the work that I do. But remember, like with yoga, yoga is about uncovering your true authentic self. And there are techniques that will help. Uh, that's a winged brother. Yes, thank you. I'm trying to uh, keep him at bay without uh, making a huge disturbance. <laughs> um, do you know what I mean? Like, I have a lot of tools that have helped me in my recovery. And that's why for me, recovery is the, the essential. It's the core of this, recovering your relationship to self. And every client that I meet with and every person that I speak to is going to have a unique relationship to it. And, and my responsibility as somebody's holding space for people to go through that process is to empower people to know that your way is going to be unique and it might have yoga postures, and it might have kundalini yoga postures, and it might not have any of those. It might have a mantra. It might not have that at all. It might have some, it will have some form of structure. It will have some form of physical uh, practice and breathing. It will have, um, it, de it just depends. And, uh, and I think that's some of what we're learning with this is that it's not one size fits all. It's not, it doesn't work in that prescriptive way that it's been marketed to us. You know, like Jupji, that worked wonders in my life. And other people are like, why are we doing this? But if I'm able to explain to somebody, here's what really resonated with me. I just love being in the sound. I love being at the same time in the morning. I love studying the language. I loved studying the history. And ultimately what it did was inspire me to get back to writing mystical poetry and uh, poems and writings of my own that I hadn't done for a long time, especially as I dealt with my addiction. That's a wonderful gift. And that's, what it, that's what's really powerful about it to me. And so if somebody, you know, if I notice that somebody could benefit from that, then I would recommend that they do it. But I don't want to say everyone should do this. That doesn't make sense. So I, I'm not currently teaching any physical yoga practices in my day-to-day, -day, uh, but I will. You know, and that's something that's come up with some people uh, too. When I've said uh, why I stopped teaching Kundalini yoga, that's a political statement. It doesn't mean why Kundalini yoga is horrible and no one should do it. It means that there's a lot, there's problems connected to this thing and where it came from, and they need to be addressed. And uh, until they're addressed, then I don't want to associate myself with these organizations. But not, I don't want to associate myself with the techniques that have supported me in my recovery. Like, why would I do that? I want to help people. But I also don't want to participate in the, well, we just carry on business as usual because that's been going on for decades with this thing. And that's how we got to this big blow up that we're experiencing right now. I hope that makes sense, everybody. 
Just trying to be in integrity, trying to serve with love. Elena Steele, this self-uncovering process will allow honesty to be included in our communications. Recovery is the path that can move us all past a passive-aggressive way of communication. Yes, definitely working on that one personally. Thank you, Alana. I appreciate that. Alana, opening up our mind, body, spirit to whatever brings us a feeling of well. Being and gratitude is the point. Well-being and gratitude is the point. Yes, 100%. No questions asked. Eamon McManus, thanks for this. We can spiritualize lots of physical practices. Have you met the BJJ fighters, long-distance runners too? Where does ego and genuine growth start? Um, I haven't met the BJJ fighters, um, but you know, I, I, I definitely think um, a physical discipline is necessary for your physical body because it's just going to make you feel good. You know, like people, a lot of people want to run. And like every time I try and run, I'm always like, oh, man, this is so boring. But I could chase a ball for hours. I went and played basketball the other night. I could play for three hours straight. I could not run for three hours straight if there was no basketball happening. But, you know, I've got creative. I've been jumping rope. It feels great. I love doing yoga postures. You know, it feels great. You know what I mean? But uh, and and then like that's where it's like the suffer through it. It's like yeah, there's going to be physical disciplines that there's going to be challenges, and you do the challenge because it, it you know it just inspires you. That's a lot different than I have to do this because if I if I don't, then I'm not a good enough teacher or whatever your trip is. You know, just like simplify the way we look at this and just be like, how do you want your life to be? And bring that into your meditation. How do you want your life to feel? Bring that into your meditation. And what's going to support you to do that? And some physical discipline is going to be a part of it, whether it's dancing or badminton, you know, whatever it is, roller skating. That's going to be a part of it because you have a body. And your body really wants to be healthy. Thanks, Eamon. Appreciate that. <laughs> I feel that I'm still in need of some practice to tell me where the moon is. That's very insightful, Atma Sadhana Singh. And that's amazing. That sounds like self-awareness. Trust that. I'm not here to tell anybody to let go and when they should let go and what... Believe me, that's not my place. My role in this conversation is if I can inspire someone to be a little more of who they are and shake away any kind of I'm doing this because I'm supposed to and it's hurting me. Let's get free from that. And it's a process. It's a process. It's a, I've been doing this for 20 years of my life. And ultimately, when I look back, I can see, like, why did I start doing this? Because I was tired of the pain that was coming out as a result of my relationship to alcohol is a big one. And now that alcohol is out of my life, I can look at some of the patterns that have been harmful, you know, whether it's passive-aggressive communication or um, not expressing how I really feel or, um, you know, whatever. 
doing things because I thought it would make other people feel happy, not expressing my desires, um, being disorganized in, in my finances, you know, whatever, so that I can live how I want to live. And yoga has helped with that. Philosophy has helped with that. It's also, you know, there's been dogma connected to it that has contributed to addictive thought patterns and behaviors. And so I need to take a look at those. That's why I'm in active uh, recovery. And and that's why recovery is for everybody, not just alcoholics. Anybody who finds themselves caught up in some kind of pattern in their life that is a distraction from how they want to be in the world, how they want to live, how they want to exercise, how they want to eat, how they want to parent, how they want to just be who they are. That's what yoga is. Love this expression. This is Juliana. Uh, love this, exp- uh, sorry, love this freedom of expression in yoga. That's the whole point. Yeah, be free. And everybody's going to have an opinion on how you can live freely as you. Who knows the answer to that? The inner knower, only you. So, thanks for taking the time to watch this, guys. I've got a, uh, I've got an appointment with a client, so uh, coming up soon. So we're gonna have to wrap it up. But let's do a part two on Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific time. If you know anyone who could benefit from this show, uh, please let them know about it. Um, if you could use support in your journey, think about becoming a member of True Seekers Recovery. Uh, there's a members option. It's 33 Canadian dollars a month. We meet weekly at 7 p.m. Pacific time. And uh, we explore a lot of what has been beneficial for me in my journey um, in a group uh, setting. So that's awesome. If you could use one-on-one coaching and support, I love doing that. I'm super passionate about it. Just DM me and we can chat about it. Um, and also we have a recovery circle that's community-based on Monday night, 7 p.m. Pacific. Anyone can join. It's free of charge. Um, people do make donations to participate so I can continue to share this work. But, you know, if you're if you're struggling with even the Kundalini Yoga stuff, I mean, that's a great space to be in just so you can share. And the people there are amazing. There's the, there are so many inspiring people. And I really do feel like that's the way forward with this. And and there's a way to share the techniques that have been beneficial, but we need to we need to uh, have some real conversations about how to do that. And that's what I'm attempting to do with this. So we can explore that more on Saturday, Saturday, 10 a.m. Pacific time. And um, I'm looking forward to being there with all of you. Um, the recovery circle is, um, you, the link is in my bio. So if you go to my bio, it'll, uh, it'll help you get there. I, I post it live on Mondays where like you just click the button and it'll bring you right to the circle at seven. And then the, the group membership group, uh, is on Wednesdays at 7 PM Pacific. And if you want to get a membership, you just go to truthseekersrecovery.com. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see it here. Um, Please uh, subscribe to the channel on YouTube if you're not subscribed so you know when a new video comes out. And uh, please tell your friends about this work if you feel like they could benefit. If you have more questions, we'll do them in the session on Saturday or feel free to reach out to me uh, personally. I love hearing from all of you. I hope this talk has been beneficial in some way and uh, we'll talk soon. Peace.